Amen. We, I know Cindy and I, I don't know for how long now we find ourselves in the morning, that going through our minds, praise the name. For the one who paid my debt. Doesn't get any better. We are in the gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. I'm going to start at verse 13 and read through verse 35. I ask you to stand in our great God's honor as I read from the scriptures. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. Let's pray. Father we thank you for this wonderful account. Lord we have these guys. At first they were downcast. But by the end of the journey. Everything had changed. And Father we meet because everything has changed Lord. An empty grave, a living Lord, lives transformed, hope that is everlasting. Father, it all comes in the celebration of your people all over the world today, Lord. The first day of the week. We praise you, we worship you, and we ask that our worship continue with the help of the Holy Spirit in the time that remains. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
As you look in the scriptures, we think of a couple of roads. I guess one road that comes to mind is the, the road to Damascus, where the Apostle Paul was a guy who was really mean to the church. He was not a friend to those who followed Jesus Christ. But on the road, the Damascus road, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that blinded him and that brought him to his knees. This is a different road. This is the Emmaus road. And there are followers of Jesus. It wasn't one of the twelve. But still, it was some key followers of Jesus Christ. And they were walking back home. Time to throw away the sermon notes. No longer are they able to see the one that taught before their eyes. Gone were some of the tokens that they collected. And they're walking downcast. And where are they headed? They're headed home. Or to the home they know. Because the one they longed for, well, he's dead. As we turn to the scriptures, we find out that they are traveling on that day. What is that day? Well, we find out in the very first verse, it is the first day. It is the day, the first day of the week. It is the third day. It is the day that Jesus said, after three days, I will arise. But they don't know. They haven't seen the resurrected Lord. They're not aware of the truth of what happened earlier that day. They're tired of waiting. They're headed back to their previous home. And I want to look at four scenes this morning. The first scene, the two disciples are overwhelmed with sadness. They are broken hearted. Look at verse 14. In our text, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. The Greek text indicates they were actually arguing among themselves. They were remembering the words that burned their hearts. They were remembering the miracles that they saw. And they could not believe. Because in their hearts, they just knew this was the promised one. This was the Messiah. But they saw the crucifixion. And they knew that he was placed in the tomb. So they were downcast as they walked. The indication of the scriptures is they were arguing among themselves back and forth. Because they were so discouraged. Then we come to scene two. The disciples whose minds are going to be open to the scriptures. Verse 15 we read in our text. He says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I love this. The, the original language seems to indicate while they're walking along and they're having their discussion, this heated discussion with one another, Jesus just kind of sneaks in. Just kind of walks up behind them. And it's kind of like, you guys mind if I join you? Well, as long as you don't interrupt our discussion that we're having, you're... Welcome to follow right along. Notice in verse 16 we learn. It says, but they were kept from recognizing him. In other words, at this point, even though Jesus was with them, 
He didn't open their eyes. This was not by accident. This was part of the plan of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says to these guys in verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? In other words, what are you having this deep discussion about? It says that in that moment they stopped. And their expression communicated they were downcast. They were broken because... Of the what they were discussing. Verse 18. One of the guys. Cleopas. He asked. Are you the only one. The only visitor. To Jerusalem. Who do not know the things. That have happened in these days. Did you crawl out from under a rock. Where have you been. This has been the news all over the area. How could you miss. Such news. Do you really live here? Is the indication of what was being said. (laughs) Can you imagine the scene? In effect, he's asking, fella, do you ever get out? I mean, really? And Jesus could have said, yes. As a matter of fact, just this morning I got out. Just a few hours ago, and the door's still wide open. As the rock's been removed, and that place is empty. Poor Cleopas... He doesn't realize he's talking to the resurrected Lord as he walks down the road. Notice as the discussion continues. I mean, Jesus could have said a lot of things. He could have given him a spiritual spanking, but he didn't do that. Verse 19, look what Jesus says. What things? He asked, fill me in, give me some details. So he goes on through the rest of verse 19 through verse 24. He gives the recap. They give the recap to this guy of what had happened, why they were downcast. And imagine him saying to Jesus, it's been three days since he was crucified and we're tired of waiting around Jerusalem. Nothing's going to happen. There's only rumors his body is missing. We haven't seen him. So we're headed back home. Matter of fact, as you look in their discussion, I, I want to just quickly point out five indicators That they didn't have the full truth. The first one. That they said uh, in verse 19. He said he was a prophet. Hmm. Well he was a prophet. But he was much more than a prophet. He was more than one who proclaimed the truth of God. He is the truth of God. That's the first thing. Uh, Verse 20. (laughs) He said that Jesus happened to be killed by Pilate in the Sanhedrin. Notice what he says here. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. Oh no, this was bigger than those religious leaders. This was bigger than Pilate. This was the plan of God. This was the plan he set forth. Because the only way he could save us was to deliver his only son to death. There was more to the story Next misperception, verse 22. Notice what he says. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. This was not a vision. Angels were there. This this wasn't just a vision. This wasn't just... 
an hallucination in the minds of these ladies. They saw messengers of God Almighty. (laughs) And they witnessed the very presence of the resurrected Lord. Man. Along with that, in verse 43, they said his body's missing. It wasn't missing. His body was there. Resurrected. Verse 24. While the tomb's certainly empty, no one's seen him. That's not true. Because they were looking directly at him. They were seeing him with their own eyes. And then in verse 24 of those last words, they had all the clues. And yet they missed it. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Immediately they're talking about him dying. Immediately they're thinking back about after three days. And yet, is anybody home? Have they totally missed the great truth? It didn't stop at the death of Jesus. It didn't stop at the tomb. He is the resurrected one. And yet, Jesus doesn't merely reveal himself or show himself. He wants to share with them the scriptures. You know, it tells us in Romans 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God, through his truth, through his word that he has preserved for us, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and the truth is confirmed. And through this discussion, as they traveled down this road, Jesus was trying to share with them the truth by communicating to them the very scriptures. He gets a little frustrated. Matter of fact, look at verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In other words, Hey guys, where have you been? You heard my teaching. You knew who I am. And yet, you're missing it. And then, you know what he does? This is great. Time for a recap. Time for a crash course. Look at the next verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. That very word explained comes from the root Greek word, which we get our word hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation. So basically what he is saying here is he was giving the interpretation from the Old Testament scriptures of himself, of the Lord Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah, prophecies being fulfilled, culminating in he as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world, rising from the grave and taking his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords by the Father, the right hand of God. In other words, you have the resurrected word explaining the written word. You have the fulfillment of Scripture explaining the prophecies of Scripture, how they are to be fulfilled. When we love to talk about telling others about Jesus, you know, many of us have used what they call the Romans road. Jesus uses the road of the whole Old Testament Scriptures. 
And they say, oh, these scriptures, they were pointing to me. When you search the scriptures, they're going to lead you directly to me. That was the truth of what he shared with these guys. And I'm going to, I'm going to read through this because I don't think I can just spit it all out without some free help. Going down through the scriptures, I tried to go down through all the Old Testament books just to give a little summary of Jesus revealing himself through the scriptures. Genesis. He is the prophesied seed who will crush the serpent's head. He is the brother betrayed by his kinsmen whose betrayal will lead to their deliverance. In Exodus, he is the great I am, the Passover lamb whose blood protects his people from the angel of death and the wrath of God. He's manna from heaven, water from the rock. In Leviticus, he's the tabernacle of God among men. He's the brazen altar signifying his death, which gives entrance. He's the brazen lever promising to cleanse us from every sin. He's the bread signifying food that gives everlasting life. He's the golden lampstand, the light of the world that will never be extinguished. He's the altar of incense perpetually interceding on our behalf. He's the veil. Through him is the only access into the presence of God. He is the ark. He embodies that holy place where heaven touches earth. He's the holy of holies. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. In numbers, he's the great hope in whom all can safely put their trust. He's the great high priest who will never fail. In Deuteronomy, he's the Lord our God. He's the city of refuge where criminals may run for protection. In Joshua, he's the champion over every enemy that stands in the way of God's people. In Judges, he's the angel of God, empowering the weak and pursuing the wandering. He's the perfection of grace and patience toward his wandering people. In Ruth, he's the wealthy landowner who redeems his Gentile bride from hopeless poverty, placing her in the family line of royalty, giving her the right to everything of his vast estate. In First and Second Samuel, he's the name of the Lord in whose strength young men of faith conquer enemies and slay giants. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the sovereign king behind and above all kingdoms, both pagan and God-fearing. In Ezra, he's the keeper of divine promise of Israel and the hand that liberates his people from bondage. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken lives and the restorer of broken fellowship. In Esther, he's behind the scenes, outsmarting the evil one and seeing that his remnant remain, whispering into the ear of a young queen that for such a time as this, she has been crowned. In Job, he is the majestic one who rides upon the wind and commands the lightning. He's the Lord of mystery who does not explain life, but reveals he is sovereign over all life. In Psalms, he's the rock of refuge, the shepherd of the sheep, the tower of shelter, the sweet honey of revelation, thirst quenching water, a crucified Savior, and a sin forgiving Redeemer. In Proverbs, he's everlasting wisdom, divine counsel for those who accept his invitation to turn aside and listen. Ecclesiastes, he's eternal satisfaction over every earthly desire. He's the one to be remembered in the days of our youth. In the Song of Solomon, he's the bridegroom who pursues his bride, stopping at nothing until she is safely in his arms. In Isaiah, he's Emmanuel, the suffering Savior, the one who crushed for our iniquities and the coming Prince of Peace, whose strong shoulder will one day bear the governments of the world. In Jeremiah, he's the branch of righteousness who brings justice and equity. He's the promised one who will write a covenant, a new covenant on the hearts of his people. In Lamentation, he's the father who disciplines the son he loves. In Ezekiel, he is resurrection power, breathing life into dry bones and bringing life from death. He's the faithful leader, regathering his wandering flock. In Daniel, he's the stone cut without hands, rejected by kingdoms, yet smiting the false image and filling the earth with his glory. He's the one whose kingdom will not end. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband of the faithless wife. 
In Joel, he's the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel. In Amos, he's the wrath of God against oppressors. He's the promise of vineyards and gardens where children will one day rest. In Obadiah, he ascends. Mount Zion is the deliverer who judges the kingdoms of this world and inaugurates his own everlasting reign. In Jonah, he's the fulfillment of the sign that after three days and three nights, the Son of Man will come forth vindicating the righteousness of God and resurrection power. In Micah, he's the one who pardons our iniquities, who does not retain his anger forever, who delights in unchanging love. He's the one who treads our iniquities under his feet, who casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. In Nahum, he's slow to anger and great in power of him. The mountains quake and the hills dissolve, yet he's a safe haven for all who hide in him. In Habakkuk, he's radiant like sunlight, whose strength makes our feet like the hind's feet and makes us walk on high places. In Zephaniah, he's the one who will gather those who grieve and those who are lame and those who are outcast. He's the one who will turn their shame and despair into everlasting praise. In Haggai, he is the victorious Lord of hosts who will shake the heavens and the earth as he overthrows the nations of this world. He's the one who will wear his chosen people as jewels around his omnipotent fingers. In Zechariah, he stands with his redeemed on the Mount of Olives. His holiness will be praised even by the inscriptions on the bells of horses' bridles as they gallop through the city of his glory. Holy to the Lord will be their praise for the Messiah. In Malachi, he's the divine refiner sitting over the smelting pot of his universe. Purifying his chosen people as silver and gold. He's the great king who does not change. And for all those who believe in him, he will one day rise with healing in his wings. Now you tell me, after hearing all that, what would happen in your heart? That leads us to scene three. (laughs) Two disciples whose eyes are opened to the Savior. Look here in verse 29. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. In other words, he became their host. He served them. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for men. And as he served them, they saw his hand. And they saw those nail-pierced hands. And their hearts were opened. He started with the Scriptures. Notice what it says here in verse 32. It says, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while they talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? The Holy Scriptures opened our hearts receiving His truth and and. It causes belief as we hear the word correctly taught and correctly shared in truth. Romans 15 verse 4 says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what they experienced. They experienced what was written in the past and it was written to teach them of the hope. That brings endurance until heaven 
until with God Almighty. You see, Jesus, He knows right where you are. He knows your weakness. He knows your hurt. He knows your hope. He knows when you're crushed. And He knows the victories, the defeats. He knows it all. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our Redeemer. They recognized He was among them. Man, that's our hope. Today, as we gather to worship, may we realize He is living and He is with us. He is among us as He pursues us. What a God we have. Scene 4. Two disciples' mouths are open for the Savior. Look, verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled and say, I love it. Look what they say. It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Suddenly, this one who appeared to others had appeared to them. And my hope is he's appeared to you. You see, that is what we share. If we share Christ, we share his resurrection. And that hope is that we too will be resurrected. One day, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why we were able to say, Christ is risen. And the response is, he is risen indeed. Right. Matter of fact, let's try that one time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. He is. He is risen. Notice as, he clo- as the text closes. Then the two of them. Well, they told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. He opened their minds, he opened their eyes, and then he opened their mouths. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the resurrected Lord. That's why we're here today, to sing and to give and to worship and to acknowledge you as we look at the precious scriptures they point to the resurrected Lord. Father, um, we want to worship you today. And we call this time response, invitation. It is just a chance for us to publicly do business with you. To say, yes, Lord, to your call. Maybe it's to come to this altar to pray, to do business with you there. Maybe it's to do business right where we are as we stand to sing. But Father, we need to obey you. Maybe for the first time today, someone has heard the call of forgiveness of Jesus Christ as we have sung about the cross and we have sung about the fact that the cross was not the end, but the resurrection and that there is life because of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And he's the living Lord. And I pray if someone for the first time caught that message, that they would say yes to the living Lord to come into their lives and to provide forgiveness and a new start in life. Father, for others of us who are yours, but have moved away from you and have forgotten about you. What a great day to come home to the risen Lord, to follow him, to love him, to renew our 
our vows of salvation before you and to, and to live for you. Father, I just pray whatever your call may be that we would obey. Maybe it's like little Emma coming in obedience to be baptized. Maybe there's some here who you've been dealing with that, that you've said yes to Jesus, but you haven't taken that step of being baptized, which is a wonderful testimony of new life in Jesus. Our sins buried as we go into the water, a picture of that, raised to newness of life as we come out of the water, raised with Jesus. Father, we just need to obey you, whatever that is. So as we stand, as we sing, may we say yes to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.